The Tom Woods Show, episode 1667. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, by now you've probably noticed that news about the virus is almost always fact-free hysteria these days. So you need my brand new free ebook, Your Facebook Friends Are Wrong About the Lockdown. Go pick it up at wrongaboutlockdown.com. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Dave Smith is back with us today. It's always fun talking to Dave, who is the host of Part of the Problem over on the Gas Digital Network. Great libertarian podcast you will love listening to. He is a comedian who's been very successful. His debut album, Libertas, wound up as the number one comedy album on iTunes for three solid weeks upon its release. So no wonder the haters hate him. They hate him because they ain't him. Uh, They only wish if all of them put together could have the success Dave Smith has had building up his brand from nothing. And he's now one of the best guys out there, and I'm always interested in his opinions. And we're going to talk about what's been going on in the world. Dave, welcome back. Oh, thank you very much, Tom. As always, it's good to be with you, particularly now as uh, you've helped me gain some clarity on a lot of issues in my life, and uh, I could use it now more than ever. Well, listen, you're doing a fantastic job over at Part of the Problem. I just can't get over the various ways 2020 is trying to kill us. It's just one after the other. (laughs) I mean, really, there are going to be so many books written about this year because there'll be There'll be people who write books on the virus and there'll be people who write books on, you know, what's going on now with the police and the and the demonstrations and the rioting and all that. And there'll be others who will want to write a book on the year itself, on 2020 itself, because it was such a cluster, you know what? So it's, it's amazing. Right? I don't want to write that book. I'm, I'm exhausted just thinking about it, but a lot of people will. You could get 65 ebooks out of this year, Tom. Yeah, I, know. I don't know what. <laughs> know. Isn't it funny? Because like what, when, with what we both do, when there's a lot of news happening, sometimes it's kind of exciting because it's like, oh, there's a lot of the content now. There's all this stuff I can talk about. I can do an episode on this, on this. I have an interesting insight on this. And I'm at the point in 2020 where you know, you'll read something, you'll be like, China's having tensions with India. And you're like, I can't. I can't do another thing. Yeah. Slow <laughs> down. Exactly right. Exactly right. I remember there was a time when I would have trouble thinking of, of things to write about in my email newsletter. I'd have to really <laughs> search for something to comment on. And now with the virus thing, I had a lot of fun with that because I, I used the newsletter as a way of thinking out loud to try to wrap my head around what the right approach to that was and and who was right and who was wrong and who was exaggerating and all that. And I kind of worked that out in real time in the newsletter. I I went from being, I wouldn't say I was scolding people, but I was impatient with people who weren't taking it seriously. And I'm going to, you know, longtime listeners, you're going to be punished for being a longtime listener right now because I'm going to tell us just be the third time I've told this blankety blank story, but, but it just, (laughs) it says so much to me and I don't even know what it says, but I was set to go to a couple of concerts in the middle of March. Uh, uh, one was to uh, Kill Switch Engage. They're kind of a metalcore band. I mean, they're, they're fine. I've seen they're, them live. Oh, they put you? on a good live show. Okay, yeah. I'm sure they do. I mean, it's not, it's not completely my kind of metal because it's a little too mainstreamy. And I actually find them too mainstreamy, so I must be <laughs> way out there. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, it's a, it, but as you say, it's a fun night out. So we were going to do that. And then there was something called the Central Florida Metal Fest coming up uh, like a, several days later. I was going to go to both of these things. And then as the time approached, we started to say to each other, well, you could, given what we were hearing about the virus, I said, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe we should 
stay home. I can't tell. And then they ended up postponing the tour and that made the decision for us. But I was seriously considering not going to a thing because I was worried about the virus. Then the Central Florida Metal Fest is still, they, they were hanging on to the last possible second to keep that thing going. And the whole comment section on the Facebook event page was, we're metal people and we're, come what may, no vi- you know, <laughs> virus or no virus, we're going to be there. You think metal people are going to be sitting home because of some virus? We're going to this thing. And then at the very last minute, they decided they just had to cancel. So now, okay, so I was worried about it because we thought it was deadlier than it was. Now we find out it's way less deadly than we thought. It's much easier to pinpoint who the vulnerable people. I mean, you know, all we know all this information now. And yet now, now that it's basically like 20 times less deadly, we have the same metal people saying, yeah, good on you, man, for keeping your venues closed. What? So, you know, you tell me now that it's safer, I really don't want to go to any of your shows. I, I, I don't know what's going on. So I've been working through all these sort of inner contradictions and all this stuff in my newsletter. But that's not even our topic but today. <laughs> but that just to say before we move on to today's topic, because this will kind of maybe be a transition into it. Number one, that's a great demonstration of the power of public opinion. Yes. Because, you know, it's like the, even these people who think of themselves as so anti-establishment, you're really just going with the flock. I mean, that's what you're doing. Otherwise, it, there's no way to explain why now you would be, you know, in favor of cancellations when back then you were all tough and going through it. Right. But, and, and by the way, hold on a minute, Dave, because I, sure. I know I'm talking too much. I'll, I'll let you have the rest of the show. I, before I forget, <laughs> this is something that's before your time. You, you won't know this little fact, but back in 1992, Dan Quayle was uh, debating uh, Al Gore. And I think they, they must have had more than one debate. But in one of these debates, they did a poll afterward. And the thing is, Quayle actually, believe it or not, handled himself pretty well, much better than he did in 88. And uh, they did a poll afterward. Who do you think won the debate? It was about 50-50. But the media pounded away at the idea that Quayle had gotten killed in the debate. And several days later, they did a poll. Who do you think uh, won the debate? And by a two-to-one margin, people were saying Gore. But nothing had changed about the debate in the interim. It was still the same debate. So it's the same phenomenon. All right, so now, okay, go ahead. No, I'm that's, sorry. That's, no, that's gr- interesting too. And back then, the, the corporate press had a lot more control over the narrative than right. they do now. By the way, a little aside, obviously he's one of the bad guys, but I always thought Dan Quayle got beat up a little bit too much for the whole dumb thing. Oh, I mean, I compared know, to, I, I mean, know, look at AOC for heaven's sake, yes, right? I know he misspelled potato once, but like, you're really telling me compared to like Nancy Pelosi or Maxine Waters, does he really come off so dumb? It it was always just a little bit unfair the way they would beat up on his intelligence. But the point I wanted to make about what you were saying, and, and I was kind of in the same boat with the whole COVID thing, I was, if you went and listened to my podcast at the very beginning of it, I was doing a lot of thinking out loud and, and talking to my audience and being like, hey, anyone have any good information? Let's look at this, the, all this stuff. I mean, look, obviously, I don't think epidemiologists should get to dictate policy. But if a lot of epidemiologists are very concerned about something, a lot of virologists are very concerned about something, it's wise to listen. And this COVID thing, one way or the other, was a very new thing. I mean, it is a novel virus and, and it, is, it is a nasty virus. And I just thought libertarians, you know, when you go into this, when there's new information, you want to kind of adapt to the situation, look at the facts on the ground and try to figure out what the best way to proceed forward is. And you see a lot of people who just basically, it's like they come to this fight and their only weapon is their dogma. And I hate that. 
it's like, no, I remember um, when I had Bob Murphy on my show, Bob Murphy, uh, young up and comer, keep your eye on this kid. He's the future. Okay. I had him on my show, like right at the beginning of the COVID thing at the very beginning. And he said one thing where he was like, um, basically saying, oh, I don't really know if libertarians should be against the temporary UBI. And he was just making the point that he was like, well, look, if the government, you know, we might be against the government, you know, through eminent domain taking somebody's home, but we're not against the government cutting them a check after they took their home, right? And so if the government is forcing people out of work, there is a libertarian argument that maybe they should be compensated since they're being forced out of work. These aren't people saying, I don't want to work demanding welfare. These are people demanding to go to work and being told they can't by the government. And, and it's just things like that where you have to think through different situations in different ways. And I think with this whole situation with these riots and vandalism and looting, I see so many libertarians almost coming to this with their dogma and not thinking through what's actually going on here. I retweeted the other day something written by, let's just say somebody at a, an established libertarian think tank. We'll just mm-hmm. leave it there. And it was, hey, everybody, you know, if, if you're complaining to me about rioters and, and looting and property damage, bear in mind Thomas Paine thought police brutality was worse than all those. And then he re- reproduces some passage that, you know, you don't even... I guarantee it doesn't say anything like that. Okay, like you already knew that. It doesn't say anything like that. But I just thought, I wonder who thinks that that is a winning pitch to the American people, to, to, the, to the average person that, listen, quit complaining about your cities being destroyed, for heaven's yeah. sake. You know, stop, stop your whining. Okay, they can't even, at least some people are saying, look, I understand how both sides are frustrated. I, I really, really do. I mean, people are being victimized for no good reason on both sides of this. And I equally deplore it all. Now, of course, if you say you equally deplore it, you're a white supremacist because there's one side you're supposed to deplore more than the other. But they couldn't even say that. I mean, this is – so I, I retweeted this and said, in case you were wondering how official libertarianism was addressing the issue, here it is. And not only that it's a terrible sell, but that it, it's wrong and it's outrageous. I mean, I've, I've gotten several libertarians who have said to me, they'd be like, I'm surprised that you're focusing so much on the rioting because you're always uh, focusing on opposing the state. And uh, first of all, I, I would just say like, well, I mean, how would I not focus on the rioting? There are people all over major cities of our country are being burned to the ground. Am I supposed to have no comment because it's not the state doing it? And you know, on top of that, and I don't care if they claim that they're, you know, opposing the state in some narrow sense or that they're the ones, you know, protesting against state action. Look, I don't, I, I don't hate the state just because I was like, someone was picking teams and they said, you're on the anti-government team. And so that's my team. Uh, guys like me and you hate the state for very specific reasons, uh, because the state is an enemy of peace and prosperity, because it's an anti-civilization organization, because it initiates violence against peaceful people and their property. That's why I hate the state. And so why should I not hate a mob that's doing the exact same thing in a far more chaotic and terrifying manner? I I mean, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to watch videos of elderly women being beaten by four thugs in front of her elderly husband who they're also beating because they wanted to protect their store. 
And, and I'm supposed to what, not be appalled by this? Uh, sorry, that's, that's not me. Not to mention, it's the state that's helped to disarm people. I and mean, first of all, well, I mean, yes. think about all those times that people would say, what's wrong with having a reasonable waiting period to get a firearm? You know, and we, we kind of even maybe in our heart of hearts felt like, well, geez, is this really the hill I'm going to die on, a waiting period for sure. a gun? Well, uh, I hope no one's stupid enough to make that argument against gun ownership again because, yeah, uh, that 10-day waiting period is, a, is seeming like an eternity right about now. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, the state expropriates us supposedly to pay for our security. And then the one time in our lives we really need it, they, they've been told to stand down. They're standing there watching Midtown Manhattan get destroyed because Midtown yeah. Manhattan getting destroyed, that will... I don't think there's any racism left now that that happened. <laughs> yeah, and, and like it, it, it's a really important point and something libertarians have to pay attention to because so many of us, myself included, have been railing against the police state for years and years. And I, I understand, I mean, there is an argument to the, the, that we live in, in a quasi-police state and that certainly there are, there are a lot of problems with militarized police and incarceration rates and the, the amount of things that are illegal that shouldn't be illegal. But this does feel a little bit more something similar to what's been described as anarcho-tyranny, where there are these rules, but they only apply in certain cases. And then in certain cases, you're basically left with nothing. And to see, you know, the, the NYPD, how militarized they've become, you know, in my lifetime, it's such a huge police force. And we're, uh, you know, I'm always complaining about how they abuse their power. But then to see as people, them, them just abandon, abandon the city and hand it over to a mob. It, exactly like you said, I mean, th th this would be the one scenario that, that some statist would use in an argument for us of like, well, what if this happens? This is why you need a state. And then this happens and the state just picks up and, and leaves people on their own. And as you mentioned, an already disarmed population, in, at least in New York City. And, and you know, I started my, my first show about this and, and uh, uh, you know, on Twitter too and stuff. When I, when I first started talking about this stuff, I was talking about, uh, you know, what happened to George Floyd and, and how, you know, evil I thought that was. And I've got to say, I've hit a point where I'm almost like done talking about that. I don't know that it's necessary, that it's helpful or necessary. It's like everybody knows that was wrong. Every, everybody knows it. Nobody's arguing. The, the guy was charged with second-degree murder. The, the other officers have been charged at this point. Every cop agrees that that was fine, that they were charged. It's like, I, I just don't get what exactly it's adding to the conversation for libertarians to come in and say, um, oh, yeah, but, you know, the cops were really wrong. to put the, That cop was really wrong to put his knee on that guy's neck. Like, oh, okay, yes, we all agree. What are you contributing here by adding that? It's like as if, you know, if Ron Paul had stood up on the debate stage in 2007 and said, you know what, guys, terrorism is wrong and the terrorists who commit terrorism are evil. Yeah. What, what does now, that that's do? That's true. Yeah. What is this adding to the conversation? Okay. So everybody agrees with you. Were you again, are you against slavery too? Like what, what is this adding? I thought the point of libertarians was to be courageous and insert something that nobody else is inserting into the conversation that's important to hear. And I just don't think that that's that important to hear right now. And, you know, I had these people, someone tweeted at me the other day and they said, um, 
They said, Dave, as a, like, I thought you were a libertarian. You should know that the cops murder more people than anybody. And I said, you know, in, in a snarkier way, but I was like, no, that is not that's the, true. I mean, just that look the at the numbers. Murder. I mean, it's like, it was like, a thousand on, people last year. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's yeah. excusable. I'm just telling you what the number is. About a thousand and seven. Right. And then people start going, well, why are you defending the police? Now you're carrying water for the police. And it's like, wait, hold on. So now I have to, I have to just accept false statements because maybe they, they suit my narrative more. I, I mean, what if, so like if somebody were to say, this is the example I used the other day, but if somebody were, somebody were to say, did you know in America that people who make $20,000 a year pay 90% of it in income tax? It, am I supposed to just pretend that's true because I'm against taxation? Right. Or, or, or could I, I go, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, our, I, I read something where some young people were polled and most of them thought George W. Bush had been responsible for more deaths than Stalin. Now, I, I, I yield to no one in my uh, opposition to George W. Bush, but it doesn't mean I'm carrying water for him to say, that's obviously stupid. Okay, Stalin killed more yeah. people than George W. Bush. It doesn't mean I'm going to start the guy's fan club. Right, and it's like, no, I'm not carrying water. I'm telling the truth for for the sake of truth and let's see what's actually going on here and I'm sorry but just because a group of people are complaining about something regarding the state doesn't mean I'm on their side and I'm not going to point out when they're not telling the truth and the narrative and I don't mean to like straw man the the protests or riots or whatever but no, I'm hearing these claims coming out of them. I mean, the most absurd ones are that there's a genocide against black people in this country, which it's like, no, I'm sorry, that is not true. That is just a, an absurd claim. But the but the claims you'll hear all the time, which is standard for the Black Lives Matter crowd, is like, well, cops are just out there gunning down black people. They're murdering black people every day. They're, they always get away with it. They're just looking for an excuse to kill black people. And I just like, I don't, I'm sorry. No. That's not true. Not. Uh, now, do, do cops... Um, harass black people? Do they, you know what I mean? Do, do, do things like this happen? Are, are, are they profiled at times? Perhaps. But no, cops are not just out there murdering black people. And I'm not going to agree with that because I would get this like warm, cozy hug of confirmation bias for doing it. And I'm sorry, that's not true. And you are in no way justified to go around and, and loot people's businesses, beat people up. The, the vandalism is... It's heartbreaking. I mean, St. Patrick's Cathedral, that's, that was my wife's church. I mean, I, I can't express how painful it was for her to see it uh, uh, desecrated in that manner. What an awful thing to do. And as I've said to other libertarians before, you know, if we got reports, let's say we got reports that the U.S. military um, you know, in Baghdad had started behaving like this. They had gone into cities and just started destroying businesses, uh, defacing mosques, beating up old women, running into department stores and just taking a bunch of stuff and bringing it back to the base to split amongst each other. Every libertarian that we know would be rightfully appalled. They would not hesitate to call out that savage behavior. But what, because it's an angry mob in my city, I'm not allowed to call that out? I'm not allowed to have these these obvious feelings. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I reject that. I am all in favor of the idea of decentralizing the police as much as possible. So even, even timid and tame reforms like 
having the police come from the neighborhoods they actually patrol, things like that. So there's better understanding, there's there's less possibility for, you know, mutual frustration. I'm all for that. I'm all for, I would be I would be willing to take much much more radical approaches than that. I I'm perfectly happy to have areas of cities have their own their own self-governing structure that involves police. Like that they could have whatever setup they want. They could contract with different practice like for example in Detroit there's that threat management system where it's it's mm-hmm. basically a peaceful conflict avoidance way of of dealing with crime and if if some neighborhood or some part of a city wanted to have that instead go ahead i mean of course that would be great i would i would be happy to see that but the what's happening right now is let's just say unhelpful i mean with the case of George Floyd virtually everybody looking at that says there's a problem. Now, you do hear a handful of people saying, well, I need to see the whole video and we've been snookered before and they were concerned about excited delirium. But the problem with that is the knee stayed on his neck for almost three minutes after he had stopped moving and talking. Like that, then you have to say, are they really concerned about excited delirium? I mean, what's what's going on here? So virtually everybody looks at that and says, well, we can't let this happen. And maybe there is some problem, systemic problem with the police that leads to outcomes like this. The thing is, what we're having, though, is everybody's getting emails from the CEOs of every company they've ever dealt with, their, their coffee company, their print-on-demand company, their furniture, I mean, like, whatever it is, they're all making sure that you understand that they, not only are they upset about what happened, but that they endorse the Black Lives Matter movement. But the Black Lives Matter people, they're, they're decentralized too. So you can't really say there's one voice, you know, and if, and if you don't like that voice, you don't like the whole movement. Uh, they would be the first to say that, you know, maybe you might disagree with some of us, but you'd like others. Fair enough. But the claim that, uh, and that we can, point is we can say there's a problem with the police while at the same time not having to say George W. Bush killed more people than Stalin. You know, so likewise, right. we can say there's a problem with the police without having to say policemen wake up and say, I think I'll kill black people for sport. There's no better way to ruin your life than to do that, apart from the moral problems. Uh, I don't believe right. that that's the case. And secondly, the issue is, OK, we had about a thousand killings the last year. I don't know if it was 2019 or 18, whenever the, the, the data is available most recently, had about a thousand killings by police of, of, um, of, of people. And about a quarter of those were black people. Now, given that blacks are, I don't know, maybe somewhere between 12 and 14% of the population, but 25% of the police killings, it seems like this is basically a doubling. It's, it's, it's where they're way overrepresented there. But the issue is how often are police in contact with people committing crimes? So if 60% of the homicides are carried out by blacks, then some analysts have said, well, then you would actually, if anything, expect there to be more black victims of police violence rather than only 25% of the thousand. Now, that's at least a point of view. Now, you could come back and say, you cannot sum up black experiences with the police in one statistic because it's not simply that there are unjustifiable killings going on. It's also day-to-day harassment that takes all kinds of different forms. Perfectly fine to make that sort of counterargument. But the point is, there are numbers that at least cast some of the more lurid claims into doubt, but no one's allowed to bring them up. No one's allowed to, to, to say that there's more to be said about this subject because we all know we got a letter from the CEO of Etsy 
about how he feels about this. There's something weird about this. And to just jump on the bandwagon it, uh, of the Borg, whether it's this or any of the other issues where we're all supposed to, we're all supposed to believe a certain thing about the Covington high school kids. The Borg told you this is what you're supposed to think. I, I just, I don't respond well to that. Yeah, and it does seem rather convenient that the, the stories and the issues that are going to inflame racial tensions, that are going to divide the country and pit us against each other, get amplified to an unbelievable degree. Now, your point about the disproportionality that there's a lot there. And, and I hear arguments on both sides. I, I understand where people are coming from. And also, a lot of these arguments are not actually contradictory. They can kind of all be true. So it could be true that there's a disproportionate amount of, black, uh, uh, of violent crime coming out of the black community. And that's why police are having more interactions in the black community in these high crime areas. But it could also be true that for that black kid who's not a violent criminal, he is now kind of profiled right. as if he might right. be. And that that can be wrong too. Like all of these things can be going on at the same time. You know what I mean? There's something there. However, all of that aside, not saying it's not important, but just aside, it's white guys are getting shot by or getting killed by the police twice as much, twice as much. So you would think you'd hear about those stories sometimes too, but they never get covered on the national media. Never. Uh, they get covered on like, you know, Pete Quinones' podcast, like when Duncan Lent right, gets killed right. or something like that, you know? But the national media has no interest in those stories. Some local papers might write about it. Uh, you know, when a, when a white guy's in his basketball shorts coming down a hallway crying, begging for his life and just gets executed, the national media has no interest in that story. And it is interesting that you see this getting so amplified right at a time when the governments, uh, the state and federal governments of, of of the United States of America have just screwed over the country in a monumental way. And it's now coming out more and more evidence that that's the case. I mean, they literally just put 40 million people out of work and robbed the American people blind while they were doing it, had the hugest corporate welfare giveaways, the hugest uh, monetary policy robbery of the American people in human history. This just happened over the last couple months. And all of a sudden, they're really amplifying this story that is very clearly going to pit Americans against each other rather than have them looking up at who just robbed them blind. I find the timing of this to be interesting. There's so much that's that's interesting about this. Let, let me read you a few words from an email I got. This is somebody who read an article of mine. It was actually something I wrote in my newsletter and Lou Rockwell picked it up for his site. So people who read lourockwell.com, pretty hardcore libertarian. And yet I got this. This is the, you know, he says the Ron Paul revolution died 12 years ago. This is the revolution now. You can either embrace the change or you can die on the wrong side of history. Those are the only choices. And what he's saying is, to give you the context, I've got to be cheering the destruction because the revolution is not going to be bloodless. So he thinks that at the end of this, there's going to be some kind of, I don't know, liberty libertarian solution. <laughs> I don't see that that's where <laughs> that's where this is all all going. L let me say something else that'll enrage some people, but I'm I'm here to express my opinions. That's why I have this microphone. I think protests are stupid. I'm just going to come right out and say that. Now, there are exceptions. <laughs> Every now and again, there is a protest that serves a good purpose. But by and large, I mean that's why I don't go to them. It doesn't mean I don't believe in any causes. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying that your cause is stupid. 
So I, I know there'll be hysterical people saying, are you saying that this doesn't matter? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this particular way of promoting your cause is stupid. I have a lot of causes I believe in deeply that I don't think are stupid at all, but I think it would be stupid for me to stand with a sign in front of the Federal Reserve Building. I think that would be stupid. And so I brought this up because there, there, some of the points you made remind me of recent episodes of the show. So Eric July came on, and he was also saying that the media wants to emphasize the racial angle as opposed to the institutional problems angle that is affecting all uh, all Americans. And then Dan McCarthy made the point about protests because I said, I said to Dan, if I had a series of protests against the Fed and every single one of them, or at least not every single one, but a lot of them, enough of them, somehow degenerated into violence and looting, I would stop holding them. I mean, wouldn't that just be common sense because that's gonna discredit my cause and I would just figure out another way. In this day and age, there are a lot of other ways to promote things I believe in. I just wouldn't do that anymore. And he said, the other problem would be if you had that demonstration and there was even one guy who looked the wrong way and there was a slight crack in a window, the media would say, well, this is a neo-fascist movement from the beginning and they probably are against Jews because they're talking about banking. You know, whatever it is, there would be no sympathetic portrayal whatsoever. Uh, there's that. But he also made the more general point. He said, what is the point of a protest? Is it some kind of a psyop to intimidate politicians to vote a certain way? Is it to try to, to, to win by sheer numbers as opposed to the strength of your arguments? And he says – when you have riots that result, that come out of these protests, he says, why would you be surprised? The whole point of a protest is to get out there with a bullhorn and not exactly try to persuade people. No, nobody, no proposition from Wittgenstein came through a bullhorn. So if it seems to not be a million miles away from the kind of mentality that says, let's all get together and put our fists in the air and shout some things. Well, if some people decide, well, I guess we've abandoned reason as our method of persuasion, if some people then take that to the next level and say, well, uh, they're screaming and putting their fists up hoping to intimidate people, I can intimidate people with a brick through the window. That's not – maybe you might right. say that's different, but it's not like it's a million miles removed. So I, I stick by my position that protests are stupid and, and <laughs> they're, not, they're not all stupid. You can find it's not this is not an apodictic law, as Mises would say, but by and large, in general, <laughs> protests are stupid. I, you know, I got to kind of agree with you on that. And and I would I really agree with your point about um, what I would do if I was protesting. And just to make the, the analogy even a little bit more solid for people, let's say instead of the Fed, it was the war in Iraq. I mean, let's say you were protesting the war in Iraq, which is about the worst thing, you know, in the world. I mean, a war based off lies that we didn't need to fight where women and children are being slaughtered. I mean, that is as noble a cause to be against as, you know, as noble a cause as you could find to try to end this mass murder campaign. But yeah, if I was a part of these protests and people started destroying businesses and beating up old women and, and, and uh, you know, graffitiing on churches and destroying businesses and looting, I'd be like, I, I would forcefully condemn those people. I would leave the protests and I would say, we need to go home, regroup and come up with another strategy to get our message out there because this is unacceptable for the same reason that the war in Iraq itself was unacceptable because you're, you're hurting a lot of innocent people who didn't do anything to you. So I, I completely agree with that message. And it's hard to not see, the, I mean, it's like the double standard is just so outrageous. I mean, come on, it was way back 
you know, I'm old enough to remember three weeks ago when the, the protests in Michigan were like this huge threat to the whole country and you're killing grandmothers. And this is all, you know, it's a, a bunch of calm people who are like cleaning up after themselves. And that was a problem. But somehow this protest, th th these riots are not to be condemned. And, and it's just so blatant the way that, you know, the excuses are made. And it, it reminds me of leftists making excuses for the, for the genocides of the communists. Like, like, you know, you can never just condemn it. They have to give you a speech. Like, you know, like you'll be like, well, look at like what Stalin did to the Ukrainians. I mean, it's just terrible. And they'll go, well, yeah, but uh, that is terrible. But look at all the capitalist wars and what that happened. And, you know, they were in this position and the workers really did blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't want to hear a speech. Just condemn it. If somebody asked me about, you know, like the horrors of, of Vietnam or something like that, I just condemn it. I don't go, yeah, but look at what the communists did and all that. Don't give me a speech. And, and same thing for the, the right wingers who will, you know, it, don't give me a speech about the, how most of the cops, there's just a few bad apples. And yeah, this one guy did put his knee on George Floyd's neck for too long. It's like, no, that is horrible. Just condemn it. And the same thing when you see a video of four thugs beating up an old lady. I'm sorry. Don't give me a speech about how most of the protesters are peaceful. I don't want to hear that. It's, it's just apologizing for evil. I remember actually having a Marxist-Leninist in my class when I was a professor. And I was talking about what happened in the aftermath of the Bolshevik Revolution. I said, by the time Lenin left, uh, or uh, died, I should say, there were already 70,000 people in concentration camps. And this student raised his hand and said, yeah, but these were like, you know, bourgeois what, like, I mean, he had all these reasons why these particular <laughs> types of people didn't really deserve anything better. So it's not like we should be that worried about it. So it was even, even there, it was a but. Like, don't really worry about those 70,000 people. The other thing is we're being told, okay, I mean, there will be some, here's, here's where the reasonable leftist comes in. The reasonable leftist will say to you, okay, you know, if you twist my arm, I'll tell you that burning buildings and, and, smashing windows in and, and ruining people's lives is, is a bad thing. And, and they'll say, oh, oh, these people have insurance, which is all stupid for a million reasons. Yeah, okay, so I'll go burn your house sure. down because you're insured. That won't inconvenience you at all, right? That, that, there there right. are no ancillary problems here. But we're being told we should sympathize, though. Understand they're frustrated. They, you know, they, they understand where they're coming from. There's no empathy whatsoever for the anti-lockdown people who are simply described as people who want to go get a haircut. They're not described as people who are barely on the margins of profitability in something they work their whole lives for. They're seeing the whole thing pulled down in front of them uh, on the basis of pseudoscience for months at a time. Things they've dreamed of and loved and give their, given their lives meaning and they just want to be able to do these things again. And they're being portrayed as people who just want to get a haircut even though they know it'll kill their grandmother. No attempt whatsoever to understand the other side, whereas, and, and there was no, Etsy didn't send out any emails about, listen, we all need to understand that we're being asked to make really big sacrifices, some bigger than others, so let's go easy on each other and try to understand why we have a disagreement. Not a word, not a word about understanding those people. Can you imagine, right, like being somebody, you know, you have, you have three kids and uh, you and your wife both lose your job overnight. And you have no, and, you, and you're waiting for a crummy twelve hundred bucks to come in, or whatever they give you eighteen hundred or something like that. If you have kids, like, can you imagine being in that situation? And then you're, you're, you know, against the lockdown, and they go, "Oh, you just want to get a haircut?" 
I mean, just just imagine. There, like you said, there was no even fake attempt to try to pretend that you're empathizing with what so many of these people, tens of millions of Americans, were going through right there. And you know, I, I don't want to be um, as as bad as those uh, people were, but yeah, there's there's a pretty huge double standard there that is worth uh, that is worth mentioning. All right. I'm, I want to recommend, of course, your podcast, Part of the Problem. Do you have any final words that if you didn't get to say them, you would feel like would screwed me in this episode? <laughs> well, no, I would never feel that <laughs> okay. way. But I, I will say that if you uh, oppose the state, as obviously me and you do, and I must say for people, you know, when I was accused of carrying water for the oh, police or not, not being anti-state enough, I mean, it really, I, you know, listen, I've gotten a lot of, uh, you know, accusations lobbed my way over the years. That's fine. That's part of the game. That's part of being, you know, in the public eye to some degree or whatever. It's, it's fine. But to be accused of carrying water for the state for me was really, I go, that's something. Of, of all the things to accuse me of, that might be the most ridiculous one there, that has ever been. I mean, look, I am as anti-state as anybody. I am the most libertarian person in the room, in every room I walk into, or at least tied. I'm tied. Uh, if I, when I go to the Mises Institute, I am tied for the most libertarian person uh, in the room. Um, I, I don't think you can get any more libertarian than me. I uh, have also, I, it should be noted, I have seen things that the cops have done through all of this, aside from the George Floyd thing, which was obviously horrific, that I thought was was wrong. Pushing people to the ground, uh, firing uh, rubber bullets in, into crowds when it didn't seem to be necessary at people. Horrific, horrific stuff. But that was at the point where it's basically become a war zone. And at this point, things are going to get bad. I would just say this. It's not, this is not a binary. You don't have to be either against the police and in favor of, you know, vandalizing stores and looting. You know, you can be against both of those things. And in fact, there is kind of a really uh, bad relationship between the two. Look, th this is my final message on what happened in this whole situation. You had a situation where the entire country looked at what happened to George Floyd. My, my father-in-law is like your typical kind of Trump-supporting, Fox News-watching Republican, okay? Like a, like a normie, mid-60s Republican. He said to me when he first saw the George Floyd thing, he said, that officer should have been put in cuffs on television that day, and every one of the cops around him should have been put on cuffs. They all should have been tried with either murder or accessory to murder. That is outrageous. That was how your average Fox News watching Republican felt. You had the country going, wow, we have a police violence problem. And you've taken that situation and turned it into a situation where the entire country is going to be rooting for more police violence, understandably, because they're going to say the only, we cannot watch all of our cities burn to the ground. We need the cops to put this riot down now. So that's what you guys did. You guys took a situation where progress could have been made and gave it all away. And now we have talks about the military coming into the country. You are going to see nothing but a growing police state from these incidents. And it's just, it's the, if you're a libertarian who hates the state, you should be loudly against this stuff because it's the worst thing that could have possibly happened. Well, there it is. I can't improve on that. I will say that when I had Eric July on a few days ago, that was episode 1664, on that page, I linked to all the previous episodes I've done on the police. And I'm much more radical on the police than I would say probably 
well, the overwhelming majority of anybody who might be a critic of mine on this, I'm way better on the police than they are. Uh, so I've yeah. got l- links to all those at tomwoods.com slash 16. 64. This this here's episode 1667. And on that show notes page, I will, of course, have a link to to Dave Smith and the Part of the Problem podcast, because you should you should listen to that. Dave, thanks so much for your time and keep on being one of the handful of sane voices we still have out there. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week. For your homework assignment, remember, we are still locked down to one degree or another in a bunch of states. And they're still using pseudoscience to justify that. So you got to go get my free ebook, Your Facebook Friends Are Wrong About the Lockdown. Because it turns out that the people who are wrong about these riots or making excuses for them tended also to be bad on the lockdowns. I, I was, it surprised even me how bad some of the fashionable libertarians were on this. That, some of them were okay. Some of them were terrible. Like, yeah, what the state is doing, you know, we should do 7% differently. Get out of here. So go to wrongaboutlockdown.com, pick that baby up, and I'll see you next week. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of the Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.